Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Before we get into the show, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, FTX US. FTX US, one of the largest crypto companies in the United States, is the safest, most regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets. You might have heard of FTX from their partnerships with Tom Brady, Steph Curry, or the recent Super Bowl commercial with Larry David. With FTX, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. You can also use the FTX app to buy your favorite NFTs with no gas fees, supporting both Ethereum and Solana blockchains. Download the FTX app today in minutes by going to ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. Again, that's ftx.blockwareintelligence.com to get started today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Today, we have two extremely special guests on the show for you guys. We've got Yasin Elamandra and David Puel, both from ARK Invest. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. How are you doing today? Awesome, man. Thanks for having us. Doing well. Thanks for having me. So, David, this is your, uh, your second time on the show. The first time around, we kind of dove into a lot of literature stuff that I don't think a lot of people have, have um, you know, heard you speak about and also the the audio quality was a little choppy on that one so i'm glad we got it sorted out for this one we're ready to rock and roll um before we kind of dive into i guess the meat and potatoes can we first start with kind of what are your roles at arc um you seen maybe we start with you and then and then go to david sure so i uh am a crypto analyst at arc i basically exclusively cover both crypto on the research side and then the product development side i joined uh about four years ago and you know at the time we were kind of just evolving our thinking on 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 crypto uh and you know ever since have have sort of been focused on figuring out ways to both help institutions get the most efficient exposure uh to crypto broadly and then kind of bridge the educational gap between sort of the pseudonymous uh twitter accounts that are tweeting, you know, major signal on where Bitcoin's going and the sort of larger, more traditional institutions who, who have no idea what's going on. So, yeah. David? Uh, yeah, join ARC um, January 2022. Um, recent alumni, um, very excited. Um, research associate, uh, mainly invested in on-chain research and crypto research in general. Um, and yeah, pretty excited about what lays ahead. I think um, there's a lot to do still um, on both the on-chain analysis uh, field and the institutional understanding of on-chain analysis. So um, trying to take it to the next level, basically. That's sick. You see, now, so I want to ask you, you know, as far as ARC's interest in Bitcoin goes, what got you guys, obviously, you know, you've been on the forefront of innovation in general for a long time. What got you interested in Bitcoin? What was kind of that timeline for you guys? And then aside from Bitcoin, the asset class, and maybe kind of want to give, you know, high level thesis on the asset class itself. What got you interested in on-chain data itself and kind of, you know, walk us through that process of how that began? Sure. So ARC was the, actually the first public fund manager to gain exposure to Bitcoin uh, through GBTC. Uh, back in 2015. So at the time, Bitcoin was really trading only 
uh, around $200. Uh, but, but the history of, of ARK's relationship with Bitcoin actually predates um, ARK. Uh, and, you know, specifically, so Kathy Wood, for those not familiar with, with ARK, maybe taking a step back, we're, we're an asset management firm that focuses exclusively on uh, disruptive innovation. So we thematically invest across, uh, you know, primarily public, the public equity space. Um, so, you know, we have five major technology platforms, genomics, DNA sequencing, energy robotics, automation, AI, uh, and, and one of them being sort of crypto uh, and, and blockchain broadly. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, prior to, to Kathy, you know, our CEO and founders, uh, founding of ARC, um, she actually had a first initial brainstorm with our, with our current director of research uh, back when, when Bitcoin was trading at, at $11. Uh, but at the time, you know, being at, at Alliance Bernstein, you know, there's obviously not the, the maturity to, to do anything about it. It was more of a, you know, we invest in, in tech and we're sort of at the cutting edge. Um, so that was identified quite early on. Um, but fa fast forward, you know, two, three years uh, and, um, and we published our first uh, white paper uh, in collaboration with uh, Dr. Arthur Laffer. Um, who's uh, you know a supply side economist and one of Kathy's mentors um, that was called uh, Bitcoin a disruptive currency. So actually looking at Bitcoin as more of a monetary revolution than a, than a technological revolution. Um, you know, it was a pretty sort of basic framing of could Bitcoin serve the the three uh, you know roles of money uh, and and sizing you know what that opportunity looked like. Uh, so that was around uh, 2015. Uh, and was really within the same time frame that we had gained our first exposure uh, through GBTC. Uh, and then fast forward a few years, we published a, a second white paper called Bitcoin Ringing the Bell for a New Asset Class that kind of looked at uh, Bitcoin in the context of traditional asset classes and you know, deemed it you know, uh, not just investable enough, but, but dis distinguished enough uh, to merit sort of its own kind of framework for and and uh, and, uh, and separate from traditional asset classes, uh, which brings me to I guess your the second part of your question of you know what, what's so fascinating about about on chain, it's like for for us uh, you know while we're primarily focused on you know traditional equities, crypto being a kind of a distinct asset class that has an entirely new framework by which to analyze its fundamentals. Is is really kind of interesting um, as a as a sort of sh shift in in paradigm uh, from what we're what we've seen in traditional equities. So the the ability to have like this twenty four seven global fact sheet that any individual can access at any time that gives us extremely granular breakdown of the inner economics and network activity uh, is is a really like kind of I'd say compelling a new way to, to analyze an asset's fundamentals. Uh, so we're looking at it more from that standpoint of think the, the first phase of, 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 un, of institutions understanding Bitcoin was like, what is this? Is this really just like this sort of Ponzi scheme for, for drug lords and criminals? I think we've gotten past that and now it's okay. I, I get Bitcoin, I get the long-term case for Bitcoin. I get why you might want long-term exposure, but it still doesn't really have any fundamentals. Uh, and that's where sort of the, the third phase comes in, where it's like, well, no, it does have fundamentals. You just don't really know how to analyze it. And it's because you don't really understand maybe that there's an entirely new framework by which to analyze it. And that's where, you know, on-chain analysis comes in.
No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, you know, bringing David on just kind of goes to show how committed you guys are to oh, being kind of on the forefront of that. Um, so with that little segue, David, I want to ask you before we kind of get into um, some specific research that you guys have done here at ARC, um, you know, kind of walk us through the kind of the, the earlier days of on-chain as well as a few of kind of the, you know, on-chain metrics that you've specifically created. Um, you know, you're one of the real OGs. Uh, kind of in the on-chain realm and you've been on the forefront of, you know, the, you know, analysis from the beginning. So kind of walk us through like the the beginning all the way to kind of where we are today. Um, in specific, I just kind of want to highlight a few of the innovations that that you've been on the kind of forefront of. Sure. So I guess technically the, the field uh, began in 2011 with the creation of a concept called Coindays Destroyed uh, in one of the OG Bitcoin talk forums. But formally, um, I think the beginning of OnChain was 2016-17 with former ARC alumni, Chris Bruninski and Willy Wu, uh, who were the first to attempt to come to evaluation of Bitcoin. And their first approach was NVT, you know, Network Value to Transactions Ratio, um, as, a, as a proxy of a, a P ratio, as we see in equities. Um, turns out that was actually a study on velocity but later on, uh, especially starting 2018, when I came into the fold, um, you could say a, a golden age of new analysts who thought this was were, you know, the most interesting takes related to how the Bitcoin economy actually works, relies. Um, we, we, we thought that was especially important to delve into what the ledger is telling you at any given time and experiment with the data uh, and clarify it um, for human diagnostics, right? So from, from, from that point, I think the, the thing that um, was a great breakthrough at the time was um, the publication of Realized Gap by Nick Carter and Antoine Le Calvé. That pretty much brought on a, a whole new array of looking at, uh, at the ledger in economical terms. So out of that, uh, with Murahmad Mudov, I created the MVRV ratio, which is one, one of the most popular um, metrics used today for just having a general sense of under or overvaluation on Bitcoin. Um, and after that, um, you know, my work kept compounding. Uh, as of now, I think I have about a dozen published metrics which are widely used in the industry um, and since then it is, has been pretty much about uh, educating audiences about what, what they're looking at at a given time and also bridging the gap that you usually have in traditional markets between let's say a retail audience or a retail investor and, and the institutions um, with Bitcoin, you know, one of, one of its main value proposition is that it's fully transparent and pretty much anyone can access, access that information for cheap or free. Um, and, you know, after that, I published with ARC um, a three-part series that delve into the whole um, what is on-chain and how you can like segment it or understand it even further and created a few metrics with them. And here we are. That's awesome. Um, you know, whichever either of you guys can take this question, 
let's let's do like an overview of your kind of pyramid methodology. I think you know one of the one of the things that you guys have been really good at is kind of taking on chain, which has been kind of this rough science where we're you know we're really early on doing a lot of experimenting. You know, there's new metrics coming out almost every day. You know, at least every week it seems like. Uh, what you guys have kind of done is create this methodology of organizing the metrics into a way that you can use them in an actionable manner uh, based off the different type of market participant that you are. Um, so again, either of you, if you want to kind of take this and, and walk us through, what is this kind of pyramid or, or layered methodology of, of approaching on-chain and how do you guys kind of think through that? Yeah, I can, I can take this. I, I think w one of the things that we wanted to accomplish with this piece uh, was to answer like two questions. The first is like, you know, why is on-chain important and, and to whom is it important to? Uh, and the question is like, it, it depends, right? It, and, and it's kind of the, the nature of, of the data itself. So when you kind of look at running a node and sort of being able to extract data from the node, like a lot of it is like really just raw data that then needs to go through, a, a, you know, a, a pretty hefty, Sort of engineering uh, lift to, the, to to then you know provide signal to that data, uh, and one of the observations that we sort of made is that the the life cycle of like an on chain data type goes through you know raw data to then highly manipulated data, and as it goes as it becomes more and more manipulated, it appeals to you know a, a more a smaller subset of market participants. Um, so the way that we kind of laid out the pyramid was, of course, the lower layers acting as building blocks for uh, the, the middle and the top layers. And, you know, starting at the lower layer, it's like it, it's this idea of, you know, we're able to diagnose the health of the Bitcoin network at any time. Uh, and this is, you know, appeals to any, you know, market participant in Bitcoin, whether they're just a general market observer, whether they're an asset manager, whether they're, you know, a single holder. It's like, is Bitcoin operating the way that it is operating? Uh, and, and that's anything from, you know, monetary policy to hash rate, to transaction count, to transaction volume. It's like, it's not going to necessarily, you know, tell you where Bitcoin is going in the next six to 12 months. Uh, it's not going to tell you how, you know, individual uh, users are, are, you know, engaging with the Bitcoin network, but it's, it's going to give you a sense of, okay, the Bitcoin is operating as it, as it is promising it, it will operate as. Um, so that's sort of the, the lower layer of, you know, we can use this 24-7 global fact sheet to diagnose um, network health. Um, now, the, the second layer uh, is, you know, takes a, a little bit of, of a deeper dive and it's like, okay, given the nature of Bitcoin's accounting system, given that it is a quote unquote non-productive asset in which the price is the primary signal and the price is really exclusively driven by reservation demand. Is there a way for us to you know, assess the broader buyer and seller behavior of Bitcoin participants? Um, here, the, the, it appeals to you know, investors and asset managers, maybe who aren't trading you know, Bitcoin on a frequent basis, but who, who might be kind of looking at Bitcoin as uh, where we are in the market cycle or how, you know, positive news is, is being sort of responded to by, by existing holders or what the, you know, specific, you know, I'd say price dislocations, you know, what subset of the Bitcoin base, um, you know, ha, has, 
has been has been affecting the most recent price movement. Um, that's that's where we get into you know things like what, what David mentioned of of realized cap and and coin days destroyed, which are all sort of interesting new metrics that only exist in kind of the open uh, source uh, Bitcoin network paradigm. Uh, so things like realized cap, which can give an aggregate you know cost basis of the market, uh, which allows for you to really understand you know, who is holding and how long they've been holding and at what prices they've been, you know, holding uh, is, is especially for an asset like Bitcoin, uh, you know, so, uh, high, high, high signal that, that you, you want to want to drive. Um, and then the third is, again, building off of realized cap and, and network health. And that is, you know, if you're actually an active asset manager uh, that wants to, you know, have uh, sort of analogous network valuation tools you know, think of in the in the in the equity markets as david mentioned like a pe ratio or an ebt EBITDA. It's like you're actually able to further manipulate that that buyer and seller behavior to create kind of really compelling network oscillators that might determine you know whether or not bitcoin is overvalued or undervalued at any given time uh and so you know we're active managers of bitcoin that's something that you know we've been focusing on that's something that you know David has has spearheaded, uh, you know, in, in, in tremendous ways, uh, and that's kind of focused on on broader network valuation. Uh, so, you know, again, I think that that's kind of the framing that we're we're taking it, and then, and then what's what's good about that framing is, you know, each layer might appeal again to a different different subset. Uh, so, if you're not really interested in actively managing, uh, then you might just be interested in sort of the the network health component or uh, or the buyer and seller behavior. David, is there anything that you wanted to add on to that before we move on? Um, I think that was super succinct. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you got it all. Nice. I'm sure that's not the, the first time that you've walked through that. So I'm sure you got it down. Um, David, I want to ask you, so, you know, as we kind of mentioned, you know, you, you've been at the forefront of creating several major on-chain metrics. Kind of walk listeners through, like, what is that process of creating metrics? Um, you know, is it kind of like you're sifting through gold and you're just kind of, you know, tinkering around? Or does it kind of start from kind of like, a you know, going backwards in terms of thinking about a problem or like, you know, an idea that you have about you want or that you want to figure out about the market and then kind of like working backwards from there. How does, how does that process of going through and creating an on-chain metric or a new type of methodology work? Well, I, I've come at the, um, the process from both first principles as a more method methodological approach and also from just um, an experimental approach uh, like, uh, work and play sort of situation. To give you very specific examples, MVRV was came out of a completely first principles approach in the sense that as soon as I saw the chart, you know, when Nick Carter displayed it in the Riga conference, when he presented it, I knew there was something there. And what he was in effect showing was potentially um, a reliable floor model or cost basis of the market. So I, I wanted to get a grasp of how that interacted with network value or market capitalization. To give you the opposite of that, uh, 12 multiple, um, which is um, the, it divides uh, current market revenue by the 365 day moving average of uh, minor revenue. That actually came out of full experimentation and iteration with few first principles like, you know, okay, uh, um, 
annualization is very prevalent, not only in traditional markets, but in Bitcoin is the quarter of the halving cycle, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to get a metric that work both in terms of reacting to price, but also to whatever uh, the activity underlying by miners and um, the, the, the issuer domain coming out of Bitcoin. So I, I'm trying to integrate all that into a single metric that simplifies, especially visually, and presents um, you know actionable information uh, based on those metrics. But like the metric in and of itself came just a Friday now night playing around in Excel and just trying to figure out how to uh, integrate all the information into a single um, presentation, a single package. Um, so it it works both ways. Uh, I've known several on-chain analysts throughout the years, and they both. Uh, attack the problem from different angles. Uh, you have the more creative type um, minds like Willy Woo. You have your, your more uh, engineer type minds like uh, James from, from Glassnode or, or so. So I think it's just a, a, a way of coming at it from first principles. It has to make, make sense from that front. It has to um, battle test over time and you have to make sure that uh, for the most part, according to to your you know where you're coming from, it has to work over time and, and preferably lead uh, price in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. And like one of the things that you just kind of hit on was that you really need to have a methodology behind it. You know, I think a lot of times you, you see on Twitter some just like random metrics being compared against each other, just like random ratios of things. There's no real kind of concept that you're trying to you know establish through that metric and i think as you just said you need to have something from first principles that you're trying to basically visualize um cool and i, th I thought it was funny you, you mentioned the excel sheet you know i think um few people realize so like my my two big influences were david and uh, checkmate in the early days and those poor, poor guys i was just like spamming them in their dms and I, I reached out to david my first interaction with david is asking you know, what do you, what do you think about approaching on-chain analysis? Where should I go to get started? And his answer was, you should just go in and, in, in Excel and just start tinkering around with stuff. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty funny. That's the exact advice that David gave to me, um, you know, a year ago, those, it was almost a year ago today. Those were the old days um, yes. when you actually had to use Excel uh, yes. to manage all this data. We, yeah. We've come so far. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so with that being said, I kind of want to dive into a few of the actual metrics that you guys have created. Can we kind of walk through a few of the actual metrics that you guys have created um, at ARC? I think one of the really interesting ones that recently came out was in collaboration with Glassnode. Uh, I think in particular, it was, it was you and Checkmate, uh, who's the lead, I'm sorry, lead uh, analyst at, at Glassnode. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but it's this long-term holder deflation inflation ratio. Um, kind of what's the methodology that you're describing there and kind of where is it now? Um, yeah, so that, that was a metric that pretty much tried to capture the whole concept of inflation versus deflation, right? And, you know, reassessing on market dynamic terms, if Bitcoin, uh, you know, Bitcoin at any given time is in, like, actually in a deflationary state, right? So uh, taking, going back to the concept of long-term holders, which are, by definition, uh, holders that have uh, stick to the asset for more than 155 days. And there's a whole statistical modeling on why that threshold is very important. Um, we found that when you assess both the, the 
potential natural cell site coming from natural issuance into the total circulating supply plus the um, the churn the daily churn of long-term holders meaning how you know perhaps that bracket of the holder base releases coins back into circulation or adds coins back into their cohort uh, assessing that over time gave us a relative sense of how when you measure that against the issue uh, issuance base coming from miners every single day you get a sense of how quote unquote inflated or deflated the market is at any given time especially from a market dynamic perspective as opposed to just um you know the issuance of bitcoin is just programmed pre-programmed completely so it's completely static but there's um market dynamic forces that usually uh inflate the currently for a specific environment meaning irrational exuberance right so what we notice is then when price appreciates drastically in let's say a few weeks to a few months the in uh, for market effects economical effects the bitcoin actually goes into inflation uh, it, it it went through that in 2017 and 2021 briefly and when we get that market environment it usually correlates with um you know uh, oversold conditions in the market and conversely uh, we also notice that when long-term holders uh, keep adding coins into their cohort uh, especially, uh, you, you can assume that they are absorbing both the relative value of the daily issuance plus other coins in the total circulating supply. So that gives you a very uh, a higher conviction in saying, okay, this is actually deflationary, and there's just not enough coins available in the market for new entrants, right? So if you combine that with you know some other metric that gives you new money entering the system it's a it's a high conviction it's high conviction on 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 the bullish side let, let's just say that's the gist of it yeah it makes a lot of sense um i think like the methodology is i want to say relatively simple but it's really succinct yet you know really clean and, and it's you know it speaks volumes seen walk us through what is the short-term holder profit loss ratio i saw this was another one that you guys said got published on Glassnode maybe a month or two ago now, what is this what is this metric telling us how is it calculated? I know it seems a, a bit similar to, to SOPR and kind of the, the way it, you know, to approach it, but kind of walk us through this. Sure. So, so the way that the short-term holder profit loss ratio is calculated is it takes the short-term supply of Bitcoin at a profit the, divided by the short-term supply of Bitcoin at a loss. And so uh, a ratio of one, you can think of it is typically associated with local bottoms in bull markets and local tops in bear markets. Uh, since the short-term activity reaches that break-even equilibria, which is denoted by sort of one, right? Short-term holder over short-term loss. At one, you're basically breaking even. Um, when it's below one, you have the, the, the market participants on aggregate who have basically moved the coins in the last 155 days at a loss. And when it's above one, you have short-term participants that have basically uh, taken a profit. Uh, that that have in which those market participants last moved uh, 155 days, um, and so you know when when you sell off violently below a ratio of one, you can also see from the chart uh, that Bitcoin uh, typically enters a bear market.
Uh, so with the, with with these sorts of metrics, there's all there. The, what's interesting about kind of the nature of I would say the more intricate uh, 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 oscillators is that sometimes they're more relevant in specific market cycles. Uh, sometimes a specific oscillator might actually only be relevant in a bear market versus a bull market. Uh, sometimes that oscillator might just be an indication of whether or not we've entered a bull market or bear market. Um, and it's not just limited to, okay, have we hit a bottom and should we buy here? Or have we hit a top and should we sell? Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you, you know, really nicely explained kind of the, the, you know, behavioral dynamics or psychology that's kind of embedded into the metric. And I, I think it's really clean. Hey, David, last one I want to ask you about before we move on. Um, what is the short to long-term uh, realized value metric? Uh, I saw this one sifting around in, in Glassnode the other day. Uh, I think it's another really clean one that you guys created. Uh, walk us through what is the methodology behind this one? Yeah, to, so it's a ratio between the, the one-day huddle wave, but re, uh, weighted by realized gap. So you're getting a, a sense of uh, both the age uh, and the realization, the, the churn, the internal churn of the, the one day um, age band and divides that between the six months, 12 months um, hodl wave realized. It's, wave. it's relatively simple, similar to like the, the R hodl ratio. Exactly. It's almost like a, a short term uh, velocity to like relative to medium and long term velocity ratio. Exactly. Um, so so you, the, yeah. The, re the result of that is. Whenever it goes below um, a threshold, I believe it's uh, 0.04, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. uh, you can detect that a bear market is in effect in the sense that the current velocity, the one day, is very low relative to the six months to yearly uh, average velocity. So that gives you a sense of apathy in the market. What we found is that whenever we have low current velocity relative to mid to long term uh a bear market is in effect which is a proxy for you know relative apathy uh despondency a lack of new entrants a lack of activity a lack of uh, medium of exchange value proposition of bitcoin and so on and so forth so you know the ideal scenario is you want to see uh, momentum at the current uh, instance picking up against historicals with strong holder behavior, right? So if you combine this metric for just having a sense of, okay, uh, there's enough velocity, there's enough activity. Um, now I can have a sense, combine this with perhaps long-term holders and have a sense of, yeah, uh, maybe the bullish conviction increases because both Bitcoin is being used as a store value and a medium of exchange, which usually results in, you know, eventual bull markets. Sure. So we've talked a lot about on-chain during this conversation. Um, you know, I think though it, it should be noted that there's other forms of analysis that should be looked at in confluence with on-chain, especially as the market becomes, you know, more nuanced. I think especially kind of in the shorter term, you really need to be keeping up with some of the derivatives market dynamics. I want to ask you guys, what are some of the other forms of analysis outside of on-chain? Maybe that's price structure, order books, you know, funding rates, some of these types of things. What do you check on kind of a day-to-day -day basis outside of uh, the on-chain analysis realm? And then kind of to piggyback on top of that, how do you look at those things in Confluence or, or how do you synergize those things with looking at on-chain? 
Um, yeah, I'll take this one. Um, it's it's very important, uh, but derivatives for the most part work from the short term to midterm, and on chain works more from the midterm to long term. So I think they're very complementary with each other. In terms of um, derivatives, of course, we we bracket mostly in in futures and options. I, I think uh, for the most part we stick to futures, especially perpetual contracts, which have the most liquidity and signal from our perspective. Um, basis in general, both in perpetual and expirational contracts are crucial, uh, as well as open interest. Um, not, not much new, but you know, combined with on-chain, it give you a very robust view on what's going on in the market at any given time. What do you guys think about the current state of the market? We kind of talked about all the different forms of analysis you look at. We dove into on-chain really deeply. How do you kind of synergize this all together today? You know, what are all these different forms of analysis telling you about, you know, your current market outlook? Uh, or I guess I should say ARC's kind of current market outlook uh, for Bitcoin specifically or, or broader markets, if you want to touch on that as well. Sure. So I think piggybacking off of what, you know, the discussion that you just had with, with David on, okay, we look at on-chain and then we look at, Kind of the the derivatives market and, and broader like liquidity and sentiment um, as an additional research area. Uh, I, I'd say the way that we sort of synthesize all of the different signal uh, dependent on the research area is is through four domains. So we have kind of really, of course, as we mentioned, the on chain and the liquidity and sentiment domain, uh, and I'd say that that's kind of like core to our analysis when it comes to looking at kind of the short to midterm. Uh, and then uh, on the longer term side, it's like taking a step back, it's like actually our biggest sort of top of funnel is, is making the macro case for this all. Um, so we kind of look at sort of where uh, Bitcoin and, and the markets broadly fit in, 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 term, in the broader macro picture. Uh, and when you look at you know, what's happening today, whether it's with the, the freedom convoy protests and, uh, and, and some of the you know, censorship that that's being seen there uh, in terms of basically just claiming claiming funds and donations uh, to some of the uh, implications for crypto and in, in the Russia and Ukraine uh, tension, whether it's, you know, Ukraine accepting crypto donations or really Russia being cut off, um, you know, swift uh, or sort of broader settlement rails. Uh, it, it makes, a would say, one of the more compelling cases for uh, Bitcoin that we've seen, you know, ever. Uh, and so, you know, when you combine that with with some of the emerging market adoption we're seeing, and and that now, you know, it's 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 being deemed uh, uh, worthy of discussion on a, on a monetary authority level, uh, you know, we're really 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 excited about you know Bitcoin um, from the macro case, uh, from the on chain and liquidity case, and maybe you know, David, you can you can touch on this a little bit, uh, but you know, we're we're seeing you know pretty positive. Uh, data points on the liquidity and sentiment side with with sustained uh, negative funding rates for the last few months. Uh, and then, you know, maybe, David, you want to touch on a few on-chain metrics uh, that that, you know, we, we take a, a look at really on a on a weekly to bi-weekly basis, uh, determine, you know, where we think we are in the market. Yeah. Um, so perhaps I'll refer to two. One, the market inflation deflation ratio, ratio which is uh, very interesting right now, it's giving out the most deflationary state for Bitcoin in its history. Uh, this, of course, expands over time, but generally, uh, we've seen one of the strongest holder bases from a long-term perspective in Bitcoin um, 
in history. Um, we've noticed that um, there's just the the churn uh, of active um, coins in the network is just diminishing over time. And the market seems to be reacting to to uh, to the macro aspect. So what, what we're doing is, uh, as, as Jasin mentioned, there's uh, several implications that are pretty much advertisements for Bitcoin at the current um, world state. Yet we we are seeing that getting priced into the asset via a very strong holder base uh, in the last few months. Um, I believe the supply less active for one year or more is at 63 Point two percent, something it's right like near that. Highs. It's near all-time high. So we're 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 just seeing uh, by several metrics the strongholder base. Um, complementary to that, we still see, let's say, uh, relative to twenty twenty one, right, or late twenty twenty, a general lack of uh, active entities, for instance, or active addresses, which usually correlates to you know momentum and activity, and Bitcoin being used as a medium of exchange, right? Uh, there's still some lack of that. That's think, usually- Sorry to cut you off. I think even just looking at like Google searches, you could see that exactly. as well, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly that. So um, given that we're still like on the lookout for that, you know, that spark of activity that confirms the whole, the you know, aligns with the holder base, right? Uh, but generally both from the macro to the on-chain, to the derivative side, it's looking um, in alignment for you know um, a healthy market environment. Let's just say. You know that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one person who's been dabbling in on-chain, uh, which I think is really cool, is, is Lynn Alden, who's obviously brilliant. And I think you oh. know she really succinctly said, you know, from an on-chain side, from the on-chain supply dynamics, it looks like kind of the fuel is laid out, right? But we're just kind of waiting for that spark. And you see, you know, everything you mentioned, hodl waves, long-term holder supply, um, illiquid supply based off of, you know, the kind of statistical spending behavior of the coins. You touched on like one year plus supply. Uh, all these things are kind of showing that, you know, the qualitative aspect of Bitcoin's float really looks healthy. Uh, it's just a question of, you know, for that supply shock, you need low available float plus demand. And once that demand starts to kick in, you know, given everything you just mentioned, um, you know, as you've seen talked about three month plus long spot premium to derivatives, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are kind of signaling. And another thing from the derivatives um, side, sorry to like start rambling here is, is the, the quarterlies, which I find really interesting. Uh, I think that that as well is kind of showing kind of a cool down um, in exuberance from from the derivatives market. Actually, that that's a, a, an interesting point. Like, rarely do you see uh, expirational f- futures on an analyzed basis uh, near backwardation or like actually touching and getting or infl- inflation adjusted. It's technically in backwardation. But... Yeah, inflation adjusted is like the most backwardated it has ever been in history. But you know, even if you do not apply the adjustment like it's still very a very rare event in for for a bitcoin market yeah for sure yeah i think um i know you you guys can you know only say something but i personally think we're kind of set up for for some universion here over the next at least month or so um cool thank you thank you guys for that and i guess kind of last topic i want to ask you about is where do you see on chain in the future you know when we talk five ten year plus years out uh, where do you see on-chain pivoting? Do you think it's continually used for kind of, you know, 
uh, price action purposes, or do you think it kind of evolves into more of this kind of like economic study of the network? And I guess, David, we could start with you, and then you seen if you have anything to, to piggyback on top of what David has to say. Um, yeah, I think the future of on-chain is bright. Uh, and I'm going to actually steal one thing that you just seen said in one of the morning meetings, I think, which is, um, you know, what we see with on-chain as the study of the inner economics of Bitcoin will eventually be just the study of economics. Um, I think on-chain uh, is niche at, at this point, but will become a major component of just economical studies in universities, um, uh, investment firms, uh, anyone interested in pretty much having a sense of what uh, a very important asset worldwide is pricing in and pricing out at any given time. Definitely. I, I see it really as kind of the, the backbone by which everyone is going to be analyzing the fundamentals of these public blockchain networks. Uh, you know, there's you know, on-chain often gets a lot of, you know, flack for s some of the potential noise or uh, some of the obsolescence of metrics over time. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the that's going to evolve. I, I think that the world of on-chain in five years is going to look nothing like uh, it, it looks today. But the fundamental premise of being able to parse data with this much granularity uh, is, is a really compelling concept that I think is here to stay. And I think we'll actually, um, you know, pressure other asset classes to think in the same way. It's like, why do we only actually get, um, you know, quarterly reports? Um, why isn't it a live feed? Or, you know, why do private companies, um, you know, not disclose some of their fundamentals? Uh, so it, it's going to add this, I think, healthy pressure to transparency uh, that you know is is much needed uh, a, a, across the world. Um, so very very excited about that. And then in terms of short term, I'll just I'll just add one thing: is at, at Arc, where a lot of our research to date has been kind of this top down, evergreen like content. So something like the on chain framework, we hope will uh, you know stand the test of of time. Um, you know, but doesn't necessarily appeal to specific market conditions uh, at, at a specific time. And so what we're working on is, okay, how can we provide, I'd say, more timely market commentary uh, that brings in all of our research areas and synthesizes it into, you know, um, you know some sort of report similar to how you might get a quarterly earnings report. Um, so that's something that we're actively thinking about. Uh, for, for those who are listening, stay tuned. Um, but we're, we're kind of really excited about how, how this is going to kind of come to fruition relative to what we're doing uh, at ARC. Also, um, if I may add to that, we have very interesting research on on-chain yeah. and crypto-related stuff coming up, so stay yeah. tuned for that as well. Yeah. I'll definitely be uh, keeping a close eye out for that, as I'm sure everyone else listening will be as well. Um, I think that's a, a brilliantly said, a, a great place place to kind of wrap it up here um you know i just want to say thank you so much to both of you for coming on the show uh this was this was awesome i mean we covered everything i wanted to to talk about and then some so uh really really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your busy day to come on and, and jam with me 
Um, before we wrap up, I want to kind of give you a little you know, plug, if you will, to, to mention any last words that you have to say to the audience, as well as be sure to leave your Twitter handle and anything else you want to link to ARC. Where can people go to keep an eye out for some of that research stuff that, that you mentioned? Uh, we'll start with David and, and then Yassine. Uh, sure. Uh, you can follow me, uh, DeepWellArc, on Twitter. And for research, you can um, you, you can go to arc uh, slash invest.com. And that's where you, you pretty much have the hub from everything crypto and the other four innovation platforms we cover. Yeah, and, and you can follow me at uh, Yassin Arc, and I'll leave with uh, may, maybe a, a few words on on you, Will. You're just crushing the game, uh, and I, I I think that you're you're emblematic of what it means to put in the work and have that work come to fruition. I think you know all of us in many ways like broke through on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is an extremely meritocratic system. Uh, and I think you're an inspiration for a lot of uh, up and coming people who are interested in the, in the crypto space who want to want to break through. So, um, you know, really excited uh, at, at all the success that you're seeing um, as a true testament to, you know, what you can you can make out of this whole situation. So congratulations to you, man. Thank you. So you're seeing that, that seriously means a lot coming from you, man. And uh, I look up to both of you guys. So I really appreciate the, uh, the kind words. With that, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. So uh, be sure to check out the links that these guys mentioned and uh, check out all their work. And, and again, keep out a uh, close eye for the, the research pieces that David had mentioned that are coming soon, because I know I will be. So take it easy, guys. Appreciate the time. Thanks, man. See ya.